Hi guys and welcome back to the Young Lawyer Podcast. For all of those newbies listening in, this podcast aims to bring the legal community together by highlighting the available support for young lawyers, discussing different journeys people take and other important factors that could affect your legal journey. Sit back, relax and enjoy the Young Lawyer Podcast. Alrighty, well, welcome to the Young Lawyer Podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on. If you can just introduce yourself for the listeners at home and how you began your legal journey. Uh, my name is James Dapache. Uh, I'm a, a corporate and commercial litigator practicing in Sydney. I began my law journey. Um, that's a really disarming question, David. Um, I uh, began it more or less at, at birth. I'm the son of a lawyer who is himself a son of a lawyer who is himself the son of a lawyer. And so all I knew growing up was that I never want to do that. Um, and so perhaps I began my law journey at about age 27, um, having got a law degree, thinking I would never practice, actually just gradually day by day, week by week, year by year, taking more pleasure and enjoyment from um, legal practice. And so uh, how did I begin my legal career? Uh, Uncertainly, but um, day by day, there's a little bit more happiness and contentment and um, pleasure to be found. So um, began in clumsy circumstances, but these days it's going okay. So that's nice. I guess, how did you go from that transition of going I don't want to do anything like my parents to going, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good career. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the question. I think the short answer is the practical experience of it. So um, I'm a fairly contrary person. So of course I was never going to do what my dad did, but also like, he and I have a really good relationship and, and he's a lovely guy. And, and yeah, so, yeah. You, you know, you're naturally curious about about what your dad gets up to and appears to be very happy and fulfilled doing. Um, and I also didn't know what I wanted to do at university, obviously. And so despite what Malcolm Turnbull said a couple of years ago, I treated the law degree as what we might call a sort of general business degree, as it were. And so in the final year of corporate law, um, our lecturer asked the question around the room of, like, hey, who's going to go into practice? Yeah, two thirds of the people put hands up. And so he goes around and asks the other third, what are you going to do? Banking. What are you going to do? Accounting. What are you going to do? Management consultant. What are you going to do? I'll go do a business. And I was like, I'm going to be a pop music journalist. So at that stage, like rap music journalism um, was looming large. And I thought that that was going to be a promising path to walk down. But uh, Damon, I'm here at my plan B, plan C <laughs> legal career. And it's, um, look, it's going okay. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how that sort of works out because like the same thing on the other hand is that you got people that wanted to go into practice. Like I messaged people from my PLT about the podcast, see if they want to chat and they're like, we're not even having anything to do with the law anymore. We're doing completely different now. I'm like, oh, okay. I think I think that's a really good point well made that, that I, I think I might be telling you a different story if I'd had that ambition since age eight and then captain the debating team from age 12 through to age 16 and then got the university medal in the area of law that I wanted to practice in and, and sort of had it really burn bright and passionate for me. Um, because, um, what I see increasingly is people my age, which especially noting your podcast, Damon is very, very old. So, so 40, 40 looms. So let's say 40 ish, um, who are sort of sniffing around to try to take silk or who have now for a few years been partners at, at, firms that you would know the name of and as would everyone else 
who are not extremely happy about the situation. And, and I think the word burnout is a bit vague to describe the feeling of achieving a long-held ambition and then kind of wondering if it was actually that great an ambition <laughs> and without wishing to sort of cast aspersions or su suggesting I could read other people's minds. I, I think there is an element to that. And so I feel really privileged and fortunate that it's been a slow boil for me that's only actually really sort of come into fruition the last decade or so. Yeah, yeah, and I absolutely agree. And it's, I guess it's something as well as like, you know, back then maybe going back a few a decade or two is you kind of do it because it's a good career. You know, you set yourself up and then you get to a stage you go, you know, I, I don't have a passion for this. I've just been doing it because, you know, you kind of do set yourself up well with the career, but then you go, well, I hate waking up every morning at six o'clock dealing with clients, but I've got to do it now. That's what I'm forced to do. Well, this is this is, this is the challenge and, and, and I just couldn't agree more um, where you have, I mean, you even have the sort of lifestyle creep of, um, people, you know, like the cliched um, rich old white male partner with the waterfront mortgage. Well, um, he and and I use the term he deliberately because if, if we're talking about this cliche, it is um, a sort of male cisgendered uh, person um, is probably massively underwater and hugely highly leveraged on their on their waterfront home, and so they've got no choice but to ride their practice really hard and so take out a maximum amount of drawings and so ride their senior associates really hard and so nail down on any salary negotiations and then ride their associates and their juniors really, really hard, et cetera, et cetera, um, because of the decisions they've made in the way they've geared up their personal life. And and that's not that's not me taking a cheap shot. It's just it's just sometimes the facts and mm. and and the the way the choices we make in our lives can can lead us to make choices professionally as well. I think it's a complex and and for me very interesting and hopefully for you very interesting <laughs> area to uh, to reflect on. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess flying on from that, what is it about the law that makes you passionate about it? Makes you actually want to keep going every day? Yeah. Um. I don't have a great answer for you um, because I'm not sure it is the law itself. I like the relationships. I like the people that you get to spend time with. And I'm very fortunate that at my stage, I get to edit that pretty heavily. So the people I spend time with, are, um, aside from a couple of select judicial officers and opponents, <laughs> more or less people who, who I want to, I want to have around me in my life. And so the people, broadly speaking, um, are a really great part of my job. But I think my favourite or number one is the ability to kind of take charge of what sort of professional you are. Like, Damon, you and I can choose to be a better lawyer tomorrow than we are today. And we can also choose to be a worse lawyer. We can also choose to just tread water. And I find that um, agency really interesting because... Um, you will also make different choices through your life. There'll be times when something else demands your attention and so you're not able to um, develop your professional skills in the way you might have at another time or, or and there'll be other phases of your life where you're straining to just get that next level of expertise to really get on top of some particular issue. And so I find that that dynamism of expertise and that agency where you really get to control what's going on, you're you're really in the driver's seat. I, I find that very engaging and interesting. So so I think that's the 
the thing, cap, capital T, capital T, that, that that I really particularly enjoy about about my job, along with a great many others. But I think that'd be number one. Yeah, no, that's definitely an interesting point. I've definitely not heard that one touched on before, but it does you know, explain a lot. Like with you know lawyers, there's always that room to grow if you want it. And it's obviously you're going to have to do the work for it. Um, but you also touched on another point about, you know, controlling, you know, who you have around you kind of thing. And do you feel like, I guess, as I don't know whether it's young or old, but that can influence you at really any stage, um, I guess, hanging around with the wrong crowd, you know, the wrong mindset and people that just want to go, you know, it's life. I don't want to worry about it. Yep. Hugely, hugely agree. And um, at I don't want to get too sidetracked, but but I sort of feel like that's a really constructive comment you've made for, for a number of reasons. One of them is that as practitioners, we are sort of Frankenstein's monsters made out of little bits of the senior people we've worked with. So I draft letters similar to one person. I make phone calls similar to someone else. When I'm an advocate in court, I'm just doing an impression of um, a partner at a firm I used to work at who I thought was amazing. And so literally the people I've spent professional time with have turned me into the, <laughs> the monster, <laughs> the monster that I am today. Um, so there's that element. There's also the slightly more um, uh, to adopt your word of mindset, that sort of mindset element where I tend to agree that you end up being an average of the people you spend time with. So if you spend time with people who are very performatively grumpy and everything's urgent and everything's uh, and very self-focused and big on drama and big on hierarchies and big on inclusion and exclusion and big on um, sort of quarantining information and using it as power, I find that really influences where my head's at in a negative way. And then... Um, the flip side of that is when you're around someone or, or a group of people who are engaged and switched on and, and generous and outward focused and have a look, it's, it sounds like a buzzword, but it almost describes what we've been speaking about. Have a growth mindset, um, so have, like a, have an abundance mindset um, of how the world works. I find that quite infectious as well. And I'm, I found about my personality, especially over the last 10, 10 years in practice, that I'm very influenced both ways. So if I'm around the first sort of group of people, I find that I do good work as a result of paranoia. I'm like, oh, I'm going to stay up super late and do heaps and heaps of work because no one's going to catch me out because everyone's against me and I'm against them. And every good bit of work I do is a index finger in the chest of these people I don't like. And so that actually works as a motivation short term. Like it, like it burns you out, but for a good somewhere between six months and 24 months, it can make you do some really high quality work, which is fine, but <laughs> that's finite. The second group out for one of a better word, growth mindset group um, is infinite mindset. Damon, I'll like, I'll steal, I'll steal that thought process from you. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a great description of it. Tell me, tell me more. Well, I'm currently reading the book um, by Simon Sinek called The Infinite Game. And he basically okay. talks about, um, you know, companies focusing on, you know, performance and profit, you know, your finite, finite mindset over your infinite mindset rather than going for your just cause, which is your infinite mindset. And he talks about like how Apple's, you know, gambled to uh, reach out and change and, you know, focus on their just cause and their passion and their why is the reason mm. why they're, you know, such a big contributor to the market nowadays. 
Whereas what would the counterfactual be? That if I fo- if Apple focused merely on this quarter, the next quarter, next quarter, next quarter, maximum cash, it yeah, wouldn't well, have turned out the same way? Well, the main one that's obviously used time and time again is Blockbuster. You know, they didn't want to change. They're like, no, nah, we're top of the board at the moment in this. Hmm. So we're just going to keep pushing it. And obviously, you know, look how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. You, you become a cautionary tale. What is it? You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Or a meme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some video rental chains just want to watch the world burn, Damon. It's, uh, it's good fun. Um, all right, moving on. I guess, obviously, we focus on, you know, students, young lawyers in this podcast, mm. I guess. How did you find that transition from when you went from studying to being a lawyer? I found it very difficult. Um, what what I found um, was that the skills that I'd learned at university were completely alien to the scenario I found myself in. And I suspect that's a story you hear again and again, Damon, that you sort of come in and you're like, oh, I got an HD in equity. That's not helping me deal with this, you know, angry client. <laughs> you, you, you know, like I just, I just couldn't. I couldn't put the pieces together of how on earth this job related to all those books I'd read uh, and all those assignments I'd handed in. And so I found it very um, disconcerting uh, and I found it very challenging and I found it very difficult. And um, it was just adhering to the one rule that I tell all young lawyers that I was told myself, so I can't take credit for it. Um, that that sort of allowed me to march on, and and that piece of advice is one that I'll that I'll pass on to anyone listening now because I still need to apply it myself. But it is, don't fuck up the same way twice, right? So we're all going to make a goof. You're going to make a goof. I'm going to make a goof. It's going to happen. Uh, the problems come um, when you see the same thing repeated. So the the first occasion, fine. It's the second occasion when problems arise. So if every time you make a mistake, if we take our growth mindset point, if every time you make a mistake, you're actually a better lawyer and you're just racking up the mistakes and you're not repeating them, then that compounded over two years, five years, 10 years, turns you into someone who's pretty darn handy at professional practice. And so that piece of advice, I I still find really, really constructive for me. And so until I really got that, I found it extremely difficult, um, the university to legal practice jump. I I find that so interesting because I was literally thinking the other day, like as a young lawyer, like obviously I I make mistakes, you know, Mm. I do the incorrect pleading or whatever it is. Mm. And then I get home, I get stressed and I look back and I'm gone, I haven't made the same mistake twice, you know, and it wasn't until I clicked on and gone, you know, it hasn't been the same mistake. It's been like a new mistake each time. Like I'm learning the process and it's just, you know, adapting to the process and making mistakes along the way. And I've gone, okay, maybe I'm actually getting better. Maybe I can actually be cut out to be a lawyer. (laughs) Well, like, I think you're right. And, and I think it's easy to forget, especially as a young lawyer that um, other people who appear more senior in the, in the profession have had that moment where they're speaking to a partner and the partner asks a question and your stomach drops through the floor and you just have to stand up and leave the room really quickly because you're just about to cry and you have to go into the bathroom and actually be like, oh, fuck, like, am I going to cry at work? And maybe you do, maybe you don't. And you've got to go compose yourself. Like, 
a huge majority of the profession have had that experience. I certainly have more than once. And I think it's um, a short memory and a degree of arrogance that leads more experienced practitioners to forget that. Um, and I think it's, it's also easy to forget because we all think we've only just started as well. <laughs> you know, we're all worried about where our next fuck up is like, is going to come from. <laughs> so there's a degree of empathy that's needed, I think, from people who are a few more years along the journey because it's easy to forget how, just how challenging that jump is. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like as a young lawyer, it's probably a bit more of an ego thing too. Like when you start making your first mistakes, you go, you know, I've just spent four or five years, six years or whatever, doing a degree, doing mm. my PLT and everything. Am I really cut out for this? Like I've just spent all that time. I've just wasted it to make this one mistake. But also the type of personality that you are and that I am is that we came up through school getting some nice marks. And we came up through uni getting some nice marks and some gold stars and some pats on the back and some you know, appreciative feedback from relatives or like whatever it is. Yeah. And then it's like, where's, where are my nice guy? People are saying mean things about the stuff I've done. This is, I'm not used to this. Yeah, exactly. But I've come to like, after the first like two, I feel like I'm actually more grateful for my boss just being, you know, brutally honest, like just straight mm. to the point saying, you pretty much fuck this up. This is yep. what you need to do next time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm glad he doesn't beat around the bush because I'm going to know next time not to do that. <laughs> because silence is worse. Oh, hugely that's, right that's... <laughs> because he, she or he or they or or whomever is supervising you could have made the decision and and i see it made every day and i've made it before of this person is not worth my time even getting grumpy with i'll just do it myself i'm never going to talk to them about it they're in my head they're checked out and i'm gonna to have to have a harsh chat with them perhaps via hr because it's done so I'd encourage anyone who's sitting there having their stomach drop through the floor or who has to go off to the bathroom to have a cry to say like a huge majority of us, including me, have been there. Um, a huge majority of people people coming through will be there and will be there again. I might be there again. I, I probably won't. I hope. <laughs> there are not many people um, these days who, who, um, <laughs> who hold that much sway in where my career is going, but we'll see. Um, but I guess... If you're getting feedback, even if it is that this is trash and it's been trashed the last three times and what are you doing, the fact that even someone's taking the time to sit down opposite you, take you through what's trash, say how on earth could you come to the view you've expressed on this draft draft advice on page four, you haven't even borne in mind the issue of blah and blah or the recent decision of blogsy and blogs, even that process, as uncomfortable as it is at the time, is firstly your more experienced colleague showing some respect for you by taking you through how you can improve. And secondly, it's a reflection that they think you are worth their time. They're not yep. just saying, go away, I'll do it. They're trying to share their knowledge with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the scariest thing. You know, you send an email off saying, I've made this mistake. Like most things are fixable. Most things, I'd say. Mm. and you go and then you sit and you wait and you wait for a response and you know a day or two goes by and you go oh shit I'm really in the doghouse this time <laughs> yeah yeah you stew and you stew and you stew and just overthink it yeah <laughs> speaking on a similar topic I guess what sort of setbacks have you faced in your legal journey and what was your mindset to overcome them yeah look um there are two big ones um 
there was one very early on um, that led me to end a job when I just made a hugely bad mistake of putting the wrong date on a subpoena that meant that in the preparation of a matter for hearing, we'd be hugely prejudiced and face massive problems getting through these huge amounts of documents on time. Basically, the error I had made, frankly, that wasn't picked up by the partner and when I had no idea on the matter. So I'm not actually accepting blame because like, it was not my fault at all. But but I should have asked, hey, what date should I select rather than putting in a date and saying, is it okay? Essentially, that that was the fuck up that I've now never made again. Um, and getting over that was, um, it took serious time because it affected, even though, as I say, I now have the perspective to say, look, it wasn't my my fault knowing that an action I had taken had affected our client's prospects at hearing like hurt and was embarrassing and upsetting and bad. And I'm afraid the sole, the sole thing I had was time was just then just putting miles on the clock of more time with fewer fuck ups um, and just coming back and doing it again and coming back and doing it again. And it's not always possible for someone to just be a glutton for punishment because there are some scenarios that you should not keep coming back and diving into. But in my experience, a, a vast majority, um, you should, if you can. So if you can swallow your pride and say, oh, that was a terrible mistake and I wish I hadn't made it, back again the next day. <laughs> and and so what I'm fairly proud of in that scenario is that I was like, Oof, that's tough and I'm coming back. Um, and so that just sort of that, that, that setback and then the resolution to march on was, was, was how I dealt with it. And, and I'm, and I'm proud of that. And I trying to get better at bragging these days, or, or at least not being too insincerely, um, um, humble, you know, I'm proud that I did that. And I suspect most people who are taking the time to listen to this podcast are reflective enough of them of, on their career that they would do something similar. Um, and then the other one was a number of years later when I was much more senior and there was just a real personality disjoint um, with um, someone. And that led to a very uncomfortable exit from one practice group and then a very happy and productive entry into another one. So that was a bad experience that was turned into a good one by me being um, honest and open with people I trusted and maintaining relationships with people who I ended up working with. So that was a nice return on um, the honesty and openness with which I'd previously dealt with the other people who would, who would go on to become the team I worked with. So I don't really know how to, condense that into advice apart from saying um, anyone who's listening to this podcast, I say respectfully probably has reasonably good instincts about how to um, skill up, how to reflect on um, the work they've done at uni, how to reflect on their work they're doing in a law firm now. And so a degree to which you trust your instincts, um, I think must form part of any suggestion I make for how to, how to progress in your career. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty good advice. And you touch on the topic of obviously personality clashes, and I feel like you know nowadays, you know, the interview process for an employee employer is not just all right, sit down, answer these questions I'm going to ask you. It's more, do you fit? Mm. Do you fit with the team? Like, 
do we fit you? Do you fit us? And it's got to be like a yep. culture fit. And it's not just black and white anymore. It's not like, oh, you've got, you know, GPA seven, you've got 10 years experience. It's like, if you're, if you're stuck up and you're not going to get along with our bunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, and you see a no dickheads policy succeeding so often. Um, you really, you really do. And um, your high billing, um, uh, sorry, I've sworn more than I plan to on this podcast, Dan. Uh, like, is this make... a swearing friendly podcast or can, are we going to go bleep tick, it out? Or what you... I can take the explicit button. It'll let tick everyone know. Button. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Lovely. So if you have a, let's say, just a high billing um, fuckwit in your team um, who is poisonous for the culture of the team more broadly, um, I think that there is a real tension, especially for a business owner to go, oh, man, th- this uh, person is a source of revenue for me and is literally helping me pay my waterfront mortgage, um, but is affecting the morale of everyone around them. And it's it's quite a tricky problem, really, um, because you're trying to balance up um, the rights and the morale of the team more broadly um, with your own back pocket or perhaps with your shareholders or with your partners or or whoever it might be. So it's in some ways it's a vicious problem of how do you deal with um, high billing dickheads. Uh, and I don't really have great advice. Like it's easy for me to sit in the back seat to say, Canem sends a good message through the firm. We don't tolerate dickheads. And that's the right answer. But that said, as I say, it's very easy for me to say that from the sidelines to be the armchair, you know, the armchair managing partner, the armchair chairman, um, and go, you know, can them, get them out of here. Well, fine. How does the profitability of my team look? How does my relationship with my key client look? Um, and despite the fact that um, managing culture and minimizing, hopefully to zero, personality clashes is the way to do things, um, it's a knotty, challenging issue, and I do not envy um, decision makers who have to confront that sort of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of um, items to consider. There's so many, you know, balancing hats kind of thing. Got to try and keep everyone happy at the same time as you know keeping the business viable. It makes it very difficult. Yeah, and and there's also the element where someone might have been a great cultural fit three years ago, and maybe he's not a great cultural fit now. And I think that's a also a challenge because there can be emotions torn up in that of like, oh yeah, Damon, he and I had that great, you know, I remember when he came on a little junior and then we learned things together and and these days, oh yeah, we actually have got a bit more friction and things aren't quite, you know, so when there's a history um, and when it's not entirely, you know, you actually wouldn't describe your relationship as antagonistic, but when there's a sort of outgrowing sort of element, I think that makes it even more challenging. Absolutely. And I guess, I don't know, flow on topic i guess mm. as an employee what can they do to stand out for someone who's seeking employment i think there's a real touchy feely eq sort of element um what i look for in a colleague is i think what everyone looks for and that is someone who is competent and that's just a threshold hygiene test if you come to the job thanks thanks for coming and yeah best of luck but assuming you have competence across the board i'd rather take the competent um nice person and i use nice very loosely than the excellent 
a person who I'm a little bit more iffy about the cultural fit um, because I do think culture, even these days, is underrated in its importance to a business. Uh, and I think that bringing in people who put your culture at risk is such a profound risk to the bottom line that it would be an error to make it. And so then to spin it back, Damon, sorry to your question, how how can someone being being interviewed use my point of view to their advantage? And I sort of say being being themselves, and, and there's this buzzword authentic that probably is in your book about the infinite mindset, Damon, somewhere. I, I think it's true. I mean, if I come in and you interview me and I want to apply to be a member of your team, Damon, you don't want me to put on the lawyer mask and say all the right things and then leave going, yes, I said all the right things because all that really happened was I kept my mask on and it didn't slip at all. And ha-ha, Damon didn't realise that I was really like X, you know, whatever it is. When in fact, because you're interviewing five or 10 or a 1,000 equally competent people, what you're actually looking for is to slightly get to know someone, to choose between Julie, who's just back from two years in Cambodia, Blogsy, who's a single father with two kids and is only offering to work four days part-time but has a lot of experience in this area, and Smithy McGee, who is currently, you know, in practice in New Zealand and you've had your interview by Zoom and you don't know if you get along but you sort of get a good vibe, you know, like you sort of need you're looking for more because exactly as we alluded to earlier, you're looking for how each of these people is going to fit into your team rather than the extent to which the piece of paper they wrote <laughs> is flattering of them or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess your number one criteria is making sure that they've actually watched coffee and case note. <laughs> it's <laughs> Damon, that's very kind of you. And, and what, 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 what you are generously alluding to is a, is the video series I do for, for almost everyone listening who will not have seen it. Um, I grab a coffee weekly-ish um, and I record a little video that's summarizing a, a recent decision of um, commercial or corporate litigation. And um, it's a nice project that people say nice things about, Damon. So I so I appreciate the shout out, but it's not a prerequisite. <laughs> I thought that would be top of your list. First up, do you know what coffee and case note is? No, sorry. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> oh, that's very kind. Damon, I didn't know you watched that. That's awesome. That's cool. Thank yeah, you're you. one of the few people I actually subscribe to on YouTube to watch. Oh, yo. So sick. I find it so interesting because obviously I'm getting in, like I haven't done much litigation before. So watching them mm. actually like gets me excited. I'm like, oh, new case. What do we got this week? <laughs> oh, Damon, really? Yeah. Let's get out the popcorn. Sick. What's James talking about? <laughs> oh, he's got a beard this week. He's changing it up. What's going on? <laughs> yes, the like the beard on, beard off has actually... I get a surprising amount of fe feedback about, about my appearance that people are like, either you are fat. Um, you look like, so your fat is one version. You're, you look like a fat version of the main character in suits whose name I've just sort of lost. You know, the one I mean, the uh, Harvey, Har Harvey. Yes. You look like a fat version of him. <laughs> um, and beard on, beard off, and then hair maintenance on or off as well. I get a fair bit of feedback about my, especially on TikTok where everyone's a savage on there. But Oh, absolutely. Um, 
Uh, yeah, like it's a fun, it's a fun, but Damon, that means a lot to me. That's a part of your week. Thank you. Thank you for checking it out. It's really oh, it's nice. All good. I find it so interesting, but that's like the first thing I did notice because all of a sudden you just got the beard. I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> it's magic. Yeah. Well, speaking of TikTok, I finally got the, this podcast on TikTok now to yes. try and get some more engagement and spread it out a bit more. What's the approach you're taking, Damon? This, this is exciting. We're now uh-huh. we're doing a social media consult. This is great. Um, don't really know yet. I kind of try to have some fun ones in there, you know, like what people mm. expect I'm doing to what I'm actually doing. And just yeah, um, nice. like I did one last night, it was just, you know, lawyer miss, just busting lawyer miss. And like the first one's just, you know, you need need good grades to get a good job. It's just like mm. no one really looks at grades anymore. Like that's a thing of the past. It's challenging, hey. Like, like, uh, and not not to drag it back from TikTok, almost to our previous conversation. The like, not what you know, who you know element, like, becomes oh, so important that absolutely, you know, you'll often find as a junior that I'm not going to advertise. You know, I, hypothetical, I'm not going to advertise that my awesome young grad has left to go marry his husband in um, Portugal, and they're going to move there forever, and I'm heartbroken because he was the best and you know, I haven't had time to get an ad out, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the associate in my team actually knows that we need someone to fill that role and the associate has beers with Blogsy's elder sister and, then you know, blah, 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 blah. That, that's sort of not what you know, who you know becomes valuable or or, or perhaps doesn't become valuable. Show, shows its value um, is probably more accurate at times like that um, and it can... Yeah, really, really prove prove to be so. Forget yeah. grades. Although it's easy for you and I to say in our position, David. Oh, mate, done, I, I was always yeah. P's get degrees. <laughs> yeah, nice, 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 nice. Um, Ticking the but, box. Yeah, but in saying that, as you know, obviously, as part of this podcast is trying to attract mm. distance education, distance education students, because well, for me, I felt like there's probably not as much on offer for distance education students as there is on campus. You know, you've got all your law associations mm. and everything. Uh, so for me personally, I felt like, you know, it was a bit distance from the law. So that's a bit of the thing I wanted to cover in these podcasts and obviously try and reach out to them to show that, you know, all I have to do is message someone on LinkedIn. Like it's yep. that easy to connect nowadays, like post an article. Everyone loves reading new case laws or different opinions and discussing it. It's that simple. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I mean, this podcast is a perfect example. You, you and I would never have met, but, but for the fact that we interacted with each other on, on socials and it's, look, it's just, it's, it sounds like such a watery word, but it's nice. You know, it's yeah. it's a nice thing yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to be able to meet interesting new people you wouldn't have otherwise met. Oh, absolutely. And I said it on another podcast, you know, you go back five, 10 years, you know, messaging strangers online was so taboo, but now you do it for work and it's just like, it's part of life. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Remember your weird uncle who did internet dating Blah, like how, how crap is internet dating it's now it's like we're, look i've not been single for more than two decades but i yeah like i'd be like well i'm pretty sure if worse came to worse you have to download an app don't you like, yeah. <laughs> that's the future yeah absolutely all right mm. as we come towards the end of it i've only got a few mm. more real questions i want to ask you um yeah. if you weren't a lawyer what do you reckon you would end up doing Oh, lawyer was plan C. So I guess you're asking what's plan D, but but I'll just tell you about plans A and B. Plan A was um, rap music. And I put out some rap music and didn't try hard enough. And, oh, I've heard a few um, TikToks. 
yeah, yeah. Like I'm good. You know, I'm good at it. And it's one thing to be good, and then it's another thing to successfully communicate to the marketplace and to labels that you're good. And then not to get into needless beefs with some of the more <laughs> prominent labels in the country and you know, all this all this sort of mid-20s arrogant stuff that um that I managed to do. Um uh, plan so plan A and B, throw in pop music journals in there called Law Plan C. I guess Plan D would be. I'm I'm sort of qualified as a historian, like I like I wrote um, a thesis in in uni, and it still really interests me. So maybe something like that. Or I've always uh, look. I'm obsessed with my Weber, and so the idea of being a butcher also really appeals to me. Like a nose to tail, awful butcher. Here's your tongue. Here's your lungs. Here's your liver. Here's your tail. Here's your eyeballs. Here's your cheeks. Here's your ears. That like like that kind of butcher uses the whole animal. Yeah, let's go with that butcher. <laughs> it's a wild variety. <laughs> it shows how short my attention span is, I suppose, Dan. I should feel so blessed that the law managed to get under my skin. Um, another one. What do you know yeah. now that you wish that you knew when you started? Oh, uh, I'm actually really touchy about this question because um, I don't want to fuck with my own timeline. Like, <laughs> like I'm happy now. And so I don't want to hop out of the time machine to 22 year old me and be like, psst, psst, psst. Um, here's who wins the Melbourne cup or, or whatever. But if you're happy with me re- rewriting your question <laughs> to be like, what advice would I give to a younger person making their way in law, which, which hopefully, which I suspect Damon is, is, is kind yeah. of the thrust of it. I think, uh, <laughs> I think it does lean, lean back to that suggestion before. And, and if, if I can just pick apart, don't fuck up the same way twice. Um, Firstly, it is that the fuck up is is universal. Like you will definitely fuck up again. I will, Damon, you will. If you are listening, you will. It is going to happen. That is not in your control. I'm sorry. It will happen. The only time it becomes a problem is if you fail to learn from that. And then that almost winds back to that empowering element about the practice of law, of, of being able to say, and it's in your hands to never feel that stomach drop feeling about that particular issue again. You might get a stomach drop about someone else, you know, something else again, and that's that's life. But it is in your hands to never fuck up the same way twice. And I'd encourage any young person listening to this advice to, to reflect on that because I've, I've found it extremely useful for myself and it may be that, that you would find it useful as well. Yeah, and that's such great advice. And I just want to thank you for taking your time and jumping on, having chatting, having a chat with me. It's been a pleasure. Damon, you're so you're so welcome. Um, would, would you forgive me for 30 seconds to steal a shout-out? Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. I was just about to ask you how did people get in contact with you or oh, how sick, did they find you? Sick, sick, sick. <laughs> oh, Damon, you're, you're all over it. Sorry, I shouldn't backseat drive. Um, <laughs> maybe that's my, <laughs> maybe that's the fuck-up I don't make again. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I did earlier in the podcast, didn't I? I'm sorry. Um, basically, um, if I've done my job right, Damon, you should be able to enter coffee in a case note in whatever way you'd like to use the internet and find me there. Basically... My approach is I want to be sharing valuable legal content wherever you are. So if you're a, you're a podcast person, I'd love it if you could search coffee and a case note, your favorite podcast provider, you'll find me. If you're a YouTube person, coffee and a case note, you'll find me there. If you're TikTok, coffee and a case note there. Twitter, coffee and a case note there. Facebook, coffee and a case note there. Instagram, coffee and a case note there. LinkedIn, coffee and a case note there. Um, oh, I think I've got to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm not on Snapchat. 
I guess everything like TikTok, I said, I think. Yeah, yeah. So basically, wherever anyone listening uses the internet, if you'd like to stay in contact with me, I'd, I'd love to be in contact with you. And if you want to search coffee and a case note, wherever you feel uh, and everywhere, if you'd like, <laughs> I'd be really grateful. No worries. Well, thanks again for jumping on. Thanks for having me, Damon. Appreciate it. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Young Lawyer Podcast. If you found this content useful or enjoyable, make sure you share it with your family, friends, or colleagues. Let's grow the Young Lawyer community. If I can ask you a huge favor, can you please leave a review or a comment on iTunes and subscribe to the YouTube channel so that way we can grow the community even further. Until next time, guys. (laughs) 